Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Jay Caviani, and if you're finding this video, it could be because you are going through a three-year journey with us at Crossing Community Church and whomever we're connected with to go through the whole Bible in three years. I'm very excited about this journey. I really think that reading the Bible is one of the, the most important things for a Christian to do. You know, if you think about it, when you interpret Scripture, you're supposed to interpret a passage within the context of a letter that was written. So what did the author intend to mean when he wrote something? Well, in addition to not only interpreting a passage within the context of the letter they wrote, you're also supposed to then interpret that passage in light of the rest of the Bible. And one of the things is, is that if you haven't read the Bible or don't know the Bible, you can't really balance out a specific teaching from a specific letter with the rest of the whole of Scripture unless you know the whole of Scripture. So one of the, the greatest ways to overcome error or being deceived is to know the whole Bible. That way one can know how a verse fits into not only that letter but the whole book. You know, for a, a Christian who has not read the Bible, they really only know what they know to that point. They really only know what they've been taught. And, you know, many churches don't teach the whole counsel of God, meaning they might do topical sermons. They don't really preach expository. Uh, and in addition, you know, not the whole Bible. So therefore, you know, you might only, a person might only really know what they've been taught or what's been cherry-picked over and over. And if there's people who don't like certain portions of the Bible, they might not just turn to them. And therefore, you have a, 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 a Christian who's really not whole. Really, to make a whole Christian, you really need to take in the whole Bible. So I just am so thankful that you want to do that. I encourage everyone to stick out the three-year journey. I think you're going to be blessed in doing so. So with that little preview, um, we're going to begin in Genesis 1. Now, today's reading is Genesis 1. I plan to do some teaching along our journey together of people reading through the scriptures, and we're using a band app uh, so that people can see what other comments are from um, people they go to church with or people who have come to join us in this journey. I think that's going to be very helpful to have fellowship and, and collected understanding around God's word. And I hope to add to that through some audios here. Um, and this one on Genesis 1 may be one of the longer ones. Sometimes I think I might give a 5- or 10-minute uh, little devotion on something that I found most interesting or enlightening in a specific chapter. But, you know, Genesis is really a foundation of the Bible, and it's important. Uh, that foundation many times is being, um, you know, the legs under it are being taken away by the world, and it need not be. Uh, it's really important that we trust the Lord uh, and His Word for the foundation of life. And with that, uh, I'd like to get started. Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you know, if we just stop there, that is so profound and significant. First of all, to believe God exists, God is, and that he created everything that is. You know, one of the, the greatest testimonies, I think, to that is <clears throat> in Matthew 19, when Jesus was questioned about 
divorce. And he said, have you not read that in the beginning God created them male and female? Uh, there's many things that are said in that passage by Jesus in Matthew 19. First of all, haven't you read? First of all, he's trusting in the Old Testament. And then he says that God created. So he, he Jesus, our risen one, <laughs> believes that God created. In fact, he was there at creation and that he created mankind and that he created them male and female. So we learn a lot about what Jesus thought about creation. And if he can predict his death and his resurrection and come back from the dead, I, I believe we can trust him. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there is much said uh, about how God went about creating. And there are six days to creation with the seventh day of God resting. And as much as there are details about what God has said in the book of Genesis, there's so much that's not said. God did not give us the hows. Um, he gave us a pattern, a six-day pattern. But but if God wanted us to know everything, he could have probably spent a whole book of the Bible talking about how he created. But in the end, ultimately, I think first and foremost, he wants us to know that he is real and that he is creator and that he created everything that is around us. You know, there's a lot of false beliefs out there today. Um, one of them is evolution, that, you know, over long, 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 long periods of time, um, things developed from nothing into something, beginning perhaps with some type of big bang, and then, you know, through many years of, of changes and long periods of time, uh, animals changed, species changed, the world changed, and, you know, voila, we got what was here today. And <clears throat> although, uh, you know, Darwin um, makes it kind of like sound good and kind of makes it sound like it makes sense, it really doesn't make sense. And I'll, I'll share with you a, a couple of reasons and proofs against evolution uh, right now. W one that's kind of interesting is imagine if you, uh, you know, you go to church today and you go out to the parking lot and you were to open up the hood of the car and take a look at the car. You you look at that car and you'd say, oh my goodness, look at all the design and engineering that went into making that car. Uh, it's incredible. And you would know when you would look at that car by the fact that it's designed and everything fits the way it's supposed to fit and runs the way it's supposed to run you would know that there is a designer. Now, if you just let that car sit for, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, you would not get something better. You would get something worse. And what's amazing is that when you look at the world and the beauty of it and the shape of everything that we see around us, it's very clear that it was designed. Things don't get better over time. They degrade. And with God, he created in the beginning and you would never look at a car after sitting, you know, with its design and say, oh, somehow that just um, happened over time. This car just ended up kind of creating itself through time. No, you look at something like that and you see a designer. And yet we are so much more intricately made. Even just the eye, human eye alone, everything that goes into giving us sight, you would not say that just happened by chance over time. You would look at the design of a human being with their ears, eyes, mouth, and all the things that go into making our bodies run and the cells and the heart and the lungs. And, you know, 
the details of which I don't even know. But when you look at a human, you don't just say it happened on accident. You say somebody designed it. It had a design. And I think that's one great evidence for our God and for the Word of God that in the beginning God created. You know, one of the things, too, that fits into an evolutionary uh, theory is that over long periods of time, it is said that different species changed, uh, partially due to survival of the fittest, meaning because something lasted and was stronger than when it uh, reproduced, those traits reproduced in the ones that were strong and survived. And sometimes there would be slight changes to a species but then because it survived, those changes would become more, um, more prominent in their offspring. And, and even at times we would get changes within species to get you know, all the animals that you see in our world today. It just took billions and billions of years. So this was uh, Darwin's theory. One of the things that Darwin talked about is he said, you know, uh, one day the fossil record uh, – may show like my theory to be true uh, because when he made his theory in the you know late 1800s there really wasn't that many fossils on record um, the museums even weren't like you know fully like the museums of today and we didn't have a lot of the machinery that we have now too when his theory was done so the point is is that there weren't a lot of fossils in, on record and really the problem with Darwin's theory then, and even more so now, is that the fossil record doesn't indicate macroevolution. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But there's just not the fossils that indicate beings or animals changing uh, and having these modifications to animals in order to get new species. There's there's not fossils of intermediary beings. To make it real simple, you know, you have a squirrel, you have a chipmunk, you have a turtle, and you have a human, but you don't have um, something that's half something or a quarter something, or you don't see fossils of these new developments or species changing. And Darwin himself said that the fossil record one day should show his theory to be true. And the thing is, is it's not that we don't have fossils. We have millions and millions and millions of fossils, but what we don't have is that intermediary being of his supposed evolutionary change. So evolution maybe sounds good in a textbook, but in real life, we don't have the fossil record to indicate that what he theorized happened, happened, and it didn't happen because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, Please look that up on your own because I think you'll find if you research fossil record, you'll find that what I'm saying is true. Now, I want to tell you, I believe in evolution. <laughs> okay, so some people I'm really throwing off there. Well, there's two types of evolution. Uh, one is called macroevolution, which is the one that we've been talking about today, where you're talking about from a very few species, you get a lot of species, meaning things changing over time macroevolution, looking at the whole of creation and saying, macro, we got to where we are through the evolutionary process. That's false. Don't believe that's true. The fossil record doesn't show it. And God's word says he created. Now, 
microevolution is change within a spe species. There was a, 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 an example of microevolution where, let's say you had white moths and through pollution, a city became darker and moths became blacker and they survived better when they were black versus when they were white. And now all of a sudden you had more black or dark moths than you did white moths. That's an image of microevolution that within a species, something did um, reproduce in a way to help it survive. But what we didn't get is from a moth to a bird. And that's what is required in order to have the evolutionary process that Darwin theorized. You have to have macroevolution. You have to have things changing from one thing to another over time. We don't have any evidence for that. The only evidence we do have is for microevolution in instances where within a species there are very, very small changes. I believe in that. I believe in microevolution that that could happen, but that doesn't provide for the theory that Darwin, uh, you know, came forth with, and it doesn't provide for creation and where we're at today. So uh, that's a false theory, and it, it's only a theory, and it's not true. Uh, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, with all that being said, uh, I want to, you to know that I hold to a very literal translation of Genesis, as does our church, meaning that we believe that God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the seventh day rested because of what is indicated in Genesis 1. Um, in Genesis 1, you'll see what was created on which day, and it'll say that there was evening and morning on that day, and then they go to the next day. So it very much appears that the best interpretation of Genesis is indeed a six-day creation, and, and I hold to that. However, I will say that there is a biblical theory that still, I believe, can be interpreted to honor God's word that would allow an understanding in which possibly creation could be older than what one would interpret looking at a literal, initial literal translation of Genesis 1. Now, hear me out on this. Again, I am holding to a six-day creation. However, I have a sympathetic view to some who think the earth was older, not to support evolution, but just because I believe there's actually a way to look at the Bible with integrity where one could interpret there's a possibility that the earth is older than what one would sometimes think in reading the book of Genesis and the Bible. Now, why, why is that? What theory am I, am I pointing to here? And let me say why this is important. There are, um, at least important to know about, let me put it that way. There are geologists, which I don't put a lot of faith in, by the way, but would say that there's evidence that the earth is very old. So trying to fit the biblical account of a much younger earth than what a geologist would say, um, they have a hard time reconciling that and trusting that the Bible can be taken literally because they believe the earth is older. I would say, you know what, were you there? <laughs> I mean, how do you know, right? 
I mean, one of the things they might turn to is like carbon dating. Well, you know what? We don't know if when God began everything, already things seemed old. Like already carbon dating on day one could have seemed like things were around for a billion years. Maybe God set it up that way. So no one was there when this happened besides God. So in order, you know, I, I don't trust the scientists to know something that they can't know. They can theorize, but they can't really know. So let me begin with that. However, now let me make a case for a biblically derived interpretation that potentially could allow for an older earth. And what I want to share with you is that, uh, let me let me just read. And so verse 2, and, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Now, one of the things that I wanted to share with you is, is that God had his own light. Now, if you go all the way back to the book of Revelation, when things close again in the garden, essentially, the, the new Jerusalem that much very much appears like the the garden or there's remnants of the the garden so to speak as far as a, a river and a tree of life but one of the things that's in the end of the the book the Bible too in the book of Revelation is that God had his own light that there was no need for sun because God lit the world and and what I want you to know here is that this is not the sun that God created when he created light God in the beginning had his own light and it wasn't the sun. You'll see that in a moment. So now let's go to day two. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate waters from waters. So God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning a second day. And what that gets back at is there was waters below but waters above. And, you know, we don't believe it rained until, you know, Noah's Ark and the flood. Uh, God had water separated like that at that time. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place. And that's where we are. And let the dry ground appear. And it was so. So that's earth. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let earth sprout, vegetation, plants, yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit after their kind, with seed in them. And it was so, and the earth brought forth vegetation, planting, yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Now, that's kind of interesting, right? Because God's talking about the vegetation sprouting now god could have in day three just had things sprout and grow miraculously because he's god right he could do anything he wanted but he also does make it sound like there was seed and there was you know vegetation that that grew up um so that that's kind of interesting did that take time to do that to grow that that's a question he does say there was evening and there was morning a third day Meaning it seemed like, okay, it's like a day. It's it's a time frame where you have evening and morning, kind of like we do now. But how is evening and morning created today? It's created by the sun, right? The the earth rotating and the, the sun coming up and the sun coming down. 
But as I've already shared with you, and you're going to about to see right now, that light that God had in the beginning wasn't the sun because the sun didn't even exist yet. So listen, let's go to that now. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from night. See, so he's saying that now there's going to be a light that's actually going to separate day from night that's going to be different from the light that I had on my own. And let them be for, listen, this is very important, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. So God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the sun, and the lesser light to rule the night, that's the moon, and also the stars. And God played them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning a fourth day. Now that last statement sounds like all the other statements for every day and there was evening and there was morning on the fourth day. However, what was different now is there was time. You know, it said here that let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And indeed, today, that's how we time our day. We time our day and our evening and our morning by the earth's rotation and the sun rising and the sun setting. And that did not happen until the fourth day. So a theory, a biblical theory that some will hold to if they struggle with a young earth that we hold to and believe in the six-day creation but a biblical theory is that it's possible that in the first three days, that the days were not governed by time yet in the way that we know time, because the sun didn't exist, the moon didn't exist. So we did not have a normal day governed by that time, by days and years and seasons. And that God on the first three days had his own lights in the evening and the morning of those days and the vegetation of day three of the earth was not governed by time as we know it today, but only by God's time. So that is a theory which would allow potentially for an older earth than what a literal interpretation is of Genesis. And I'm sympathetic to it. I don't believe it, but I'm sympathetic to it because it's not some crazy, unbiblically derived theory. It's someone who is trying to interpret the Bible and say, you know what, there's actually justification for this interpretation. And because someone's trying to use the Bible to do that and trying to look at it honorably, I have some sympathy towards that. So anyways, I think that's important to know for some people who may really struggle with uh, that age of the earth question. But a lot of times if people argue for an older earth, what they're doing is they're saying that's because we believe in Darwin's evolutionary theory or we don't believe that God actually created. That is not what anyone who's trying to hold to this interpretation and trust the Bible is saying. Definitely not what I'm saying. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Evolution, macro evolution is false. And you can trust the word of God. So that's a lot to be said. But I really believe it's important that we know that you can trust God and his word and that God created everything. Now, 
I want to move forward for the sake of time, and I want to turn to a very important passage beginning in verse 26 of Genesis 1. And in there, it says that, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, so that they will have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, and over every living creature that creeps on the ground. There we have it. God's creation of male and female, and his command that we would be fruitful and multiply. <clears throat> In addition, though, not just to be fruitful and multiply, but to be fruitful and multiply what? God created us in his image. And he said <clears throat> that I, he said it several times, right? That in the image of God, you've been created in his likeness. And he wants us to be fruitful and multiply. God's has a right to have the authority of what he wants on earth. And God desired to create man as the masterpiece of his creation, to create man in his image and in his likeness. And then he commanded them, the very first command of God, is that we would be fruitful and multiply. Fruitful and multiply in what way? Just multiply humans? Well, yes, multiply humans, of course. But to multiply humans that were made in his image and likeness, God's desire was always to have a people that would worship him, that would follow him, and that would bear his image and likeness and spread his goodness throughout the earth. Well, if you, you know, as you I'm sure are aware that this didn't work out as well as what we'd like for man to do, and indeed we'll find out in, in the very soon that man um, thwarted what God had intended and brought sin into the world. And instead of multiplying God's goodness, his image and his likeness, we multiplied a sinful creation over and over instead of what God had intended. But ever since the beginning of time, God has been seeking for mankind to bear his image and likeness and to multiply that. And I want to say to you, that's a foundational statement of why we exist. And it's a foundational purpose of God from cover to cover. God is about mankind bearing his image and multiplying that image in people. Now it's really through discipleship. Jesus came to this earth to reveal the image and likeness of God. And then he invested in himself into disciples who would be his pupils, his students, people who would be seeking to resemble his image and likeness, to become more like him. And when he finally gave them his great commission, it essentially mirrored the initial command of God to bear his image and likeness and be fruitful and multiply because Jesus said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. So what you see is the mission statement of Jesus 
was that we as disciples, people, students, learners who have, are seeking to become more like him, that we would make more disciples, people who would bear the image and likeness of God and be fruitful and multiply. You can see how those two major missional statements in the Bible really go together. Dear church, this is why God has us here. He wants us to look more like him, to reflect his image and likeness, and to be fruitful and multiply, not only in our offspring, but also in the way that we invest into the people around us, that they may know God, that they may take on a greater reflection of his image, and seek to multiply that in the world around us. That is our purpose. That's why we're here. And because God is creator, he has the right to declare what the purpose of life is. And he has declared it here. Hallelujah. Genesis 1, the foundation of our lives and of the Bible. Thank you for listening. And I hope to teach you again as we go through the Bible together. May the Lord richly bless us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. It is so good. May it richly, Lord, impact our lives and help us to bear the image of God and be fruitful in multiplying people more like you all throughout the world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.